Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today, and welcome to First Christian Church. For our guests here, uh, here in the West that maybe I've not met yet, I'm, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and welcome again to all those of you that I met earlier on in the East Auditorium. Uh, we're going to look at Scripture today, looking at the book of Proverbs, which is about this far through the Bible. If you want to grab a Bible, that'd be great. Um, Leslie and I were gone last weekend. Um, we were representing this church at one of our Disciple Heritage Fellowship churches, one of those 70-plus churches we have around the country, is in Pittsfield, Illinois, right up against the western Illinois border. And I bring you greetings from your sister church there. It's a very healthy, vibrant, strong church. I mean, extremely, one of our best dates churches around the country. And so um, I bring greetings from that congregation. While we were gone, uh, we asked Josh to fill the pulpit and um, to start a new sermon series. It's called Timeless. And um, apparently along the way, he made some remarks about the fact that I'm turning 60 this month. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let me just say, I might be turning 60 this month, but he's turning 30 this month. And we wondered in turning the pulpit over to Josh for last week, um, what might there that a 30-year-old could teach a 60-year-old? There might be some things. But along the way, apparently he uh, decided to poke a little fun at his lead pastor being twice his age. Well, Josh Koskinen, former pastor of Josh Koskinen, <laughs> no, um, Josh, oh Josh, what you give out, you have to be willing to take, take a little bit yourself. And I would say, particularly if the young gun is only half the age of the older fellow, thus I would suspect he's only half as smart. And this is my common response when Josh comes around. Yes? Yeah. No. All right. Josh, regarding your upcoming 30th birthday, I'm reminded of what the ch famous Chinese scholar had to say about a fellow turning 30. You know that Chinese scholar, don't you? Mr. Young No More. <laughs> Says this. Congrats. At 30 years of age, you're now half a senior citizen. And you're not really turning 30, you're just turning 18 for the 12th time. Good luck. <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> Another thing that occurs to me about being in your 30s, um, you know, in your 30s, it's just like your 20s, except everything is just 10 years older, and everything you do is way more expensive. So good luck with that, Josh, okay? I, 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 I must tell you, this business of turning 60 is a little bit weird for me. I mean, I didn't struggle with 40 or 50, but... This 60 business, uh, I feel, if you would ask Wayne, how old do you feel like you are? I'd say, I feel like I'm about 35 years old, except when I'm in the bathroom walking past the mirror, I go, oh man, that birthday suit needs a little more ironing than it used to be, it used to need. <laughs> uh, I'm struggling that, um, why do I, I go to eating establishments and they, they card me, they want to know my age. And they go, are you old enough for the senior's discount? <laughs> Gee, great. What's with that? But I guess it's all right because I'm still far more younger and far better looking than Mick Jagger. 
Look at this guy. Now, how do you get that many wrinkles? I don't know how you do that, okay? But nonetheless, though it bothers me in that the, the music of my youth, namely the Rolling Stones, now plays as elevator music, and elevators are supposed to be calm and soothing. What's with that? I don't understand that. I guess my point is I've, I've recently discovered my new favorite song is from Toys R Us. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. But then they went and went bankrupt, and they're not even around anymore. What's that going to say about my future, okay? So what we're doing here is, um, just started this last week, we're spending five weekends looking at some timeless truths. And in all honesty, this series was kind of birthed, and we gave some thought to it. Last summer in July, when it became apparent, hey, Wayne, you're turning 60 in June of 2018. Maybe there's some things you've learned along the way, and so... Throughout this month, throughout the rest of the month, after Josh got us started so ably with looking at wisdom, uh, here's the four things that you can expect. Uh, my my take at 60 years of age, the lessons in life thus far, if you will, uh, these timeless lessons. We're going to look at lessons regarding life, which is today. Next week, love. The third week, we'll look at family, and then the last week in June uh, will be ministry. And I'm preaching all weekends uh, in at First Christian Church this month, okay? So let's start with an overview then of what does, um, after building on what Josh started last week about wisdom, what does the Bible say about life as a whole, okay? Read with me Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 5, a rather familiar passage of Scripture if you've looked at Scripture before. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Now, this is a familiar passage of Scripture to many people, and I must be honest and say I, I was a little bit concerned about choosing this as the text for today because it's almost been used so much that it's kind of, you know, passe. It's like, oh, big deal. It's emblazoned on coffee mugs. You see it on refrigerator magnets, and people have it, you know, stamped into their, the cover of their Bible and bumper stickers and so I, I, I struggle to, is this really where, what, we, what we should look at today if we want to look at life? Because I, have we overused it? Now, I want to put that in balance. This is the Word of God. So if it's the Word of God, could we ever overuse it? Probably not. But can we get new, fresh eyes on this? And as we examine this today, be mindful about the book of Proverbs, that the book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings that are observed truths. They were compiled together some 3,000 years or so ago by King Solomon, uh, the, one of the kings of Israel. And it was late in his life, and he was reflecting back on life lessons and saying, what have I learned in hindsight? Lessons thus far, 60 years of age, me. What have I learned in hindsight? And he's got this idea that's quite potent. He's basically saying, you know, when I look around, and I look at people's lives, I've, I've observed that the people who trust God and turn away from just relying on their own human wisdom, when I look at those, you know, wow, their, their lives turn out so much better. Which then begs the question, well, if their lives turn out better when they don't trust their human wisdom, does that mean we shouldn't have any knowledge? We shouldn't have any wisdom? We just kind of walk blindly? No. Solomon does say, well, you need to acquire wisdom. As a matter of fact, throughout the book of Proverbs, you have this idea over and over again, wisdom is a good thing to gain, and knowledge is good. For example, in Proverbs chapter 2, 
Solomon writing, this is my observation. You should incline your heart to understanding. In Proverbs 3, my observation is the one who, the one who gets understanding is blessed in life. Or Proverbs 14, wisdom rests in the heart of a person of understanding. You, you, can, you can build that. Or even in Proverbs 23, by wisdom, instruction and understanding. In other words, it's so important that you get it that if you have to go to school, if you have to pay to go to school and get more understanding, then that's a good idea. And so what's with that if he's saying, you know, wisdom is so important and knowledge is so important, you should go and buy it. And yet on the other hand, he's, we've got this Proverbs 3 to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. He's got, you should go buy it if it's so important, but on the other hand, don't lean into it. What's going on there? Well, this is what people of faith, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, then here's what we say to hold those two things in tension. We say that we believe in God. And if we believe in God, we say then God is smarter than, than you or me, right? Because if God is not smarter than you or me, then that's not a very big God and that's not a very intelligent God. And that's not a God with a lot of great wisdom. And if we believe that God is smarter than we are, has more wisdom than we have, then we trust God before we trust our own brain as compared to God's brain. In other words, what, what Solomon is saying, you can learn much, you can study much and go for it. Figure it all out. Work hard at it and gain wisdom to the point where you buy it, if you will. You can accomplish much without God. You are, the, you are made in the image of God. You are a human being. And as a result of being a human being, you have all kinds of possibilities in front of you. But be certain that as you accomplish much, you will not accomplish much without God as you will if you have God covering all that. You'd accomplish much without God, yes, but you'll accomplish far more with God. And that means, okay, so if I can, I can do more with God, then how do, I, how do I lean into God? How do I make certain that I'm accessing God's wisdom for me? Well, for Christians, we would say what Jesus says. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, through Jesus Christ, we gain access to God. And then while we are, if you will, in that access to God, we say, now, God, what's the action point that I need to have so that I'm leaning on you? And here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it gives us that action point. Look at the proverb again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own, on your own understanding. That's the business of saying, I'm going to let my wisdom be superseded by God's. In all your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. What's, what's the action point? The submission, right? We submit all of who we are to God. And then so he's saying, okay, how? I'm up for that. But how do I do that? Well, this is where, if you will, I would say some of my life lessons come into play. And I'm going to give you a list that we're going to start today and we'll, throughout the coming weeks we'll add to this. But here's a beginning list of how to submit to God and how we say it. We want heaven's plan for me, for you to be in play. So some timeless lessons thus far would be we submit when we say, God, we want you to be in charge of each direction that I have to go and each decision that I have in front of me. You're in charge. And I've learned this, that in the large and the small issues of life and the decisions that we have, they are much more effective and they come off a whole lot better when I ask God to be right in the middle of those decisions. It doesn't make the decisions easy per se, and it doesn't always mean that I get a 100% track record of only winning moments, but when I've got, like, you've got a new job possibility coming, and it means a move or it means a shift. Okay, you don't have to make that decision by yourself, friends. 
You say, God, how would I do this? Or something perhaps a little more mundane, I'm going to buy a new car. Where am I going to buy that car from? And how much am I willing to pay? And you go, do you really ask God about what car to buy? Yeah, why not? If God's wisdom is better than mine, I want to step into the best car for me, all right? Let him be in charge of that. Couple, should we have another child? God's interested? Absolutely God's interested. You're sitting at a restaurant and you're looking across the table at someone and you're going, is it possible this is my future spouse? That's a big decision. You know, God can be in the middle of that. High schoolers, you're thinking, okay, I'm, I'm about, I have to go to college in the fall or I have to choose not to go to college. Can I get a decision? Can I make a decision about that? Yes, you can with the help of God because what, how you make that decision forms a trajectory for the rest of your life. How generous should I be? When should I give? When should, I mean, all those sorts of matters. I, I faced this this past week. Um, Wednesday night, Lynn and Dory Kazir were with me on the radio show. And the show entered at 7 o'clock. And by the time 7 o'clock rolls around, downtown is fairly, there's not a lot going on, at least where the station is. And um, th- th- this has happened to me on a number of occasions. A panhandler came up and cornered us. And I, you know, the, the city officials have asked us not to give out money to the people who are panhandling. And I, okay, I'm willing to go by that. But so I'm, I'm kind of used to people coming up to me at that moment downtown because of that's who's there. And um, at least where the, as where the station is located. And I usually would say, no, not today. Or if I can help you come to the church tomorrow, I'll give them the church's address, that sort of thing. And, but there was something within me. It's got to be the Holy Spirit says, you need to give this guy some money. Now, I was a little bit worried about that. You know, I've got guests with me. Lynn and Dory are there. We're trying to have a conversation. This guy is right in my face. And on the way into the studio on Wednesday night, I'd stopped by the ATM machine. And I had a fair amount of money in my wallet compared to the, you know, normally $21.33 in there, you know. And if you lose $21.33, that's all. You don't want to lose it, but, you know, it's not a huge... And I'm thinking, man, if this goes bad, it's going to be really bad, right? So I'm thinking, okay, yes, God, I think I can give him some money, but how do I give him the right amount and without letting him know that there's a lot more where that was going to come from in my wallet? And so I step back and with a whispered prayer for our well-being and for his, for this guy's help, I stepped into it and I put a bill in his hand and he walked away a little bit more wealthy, and I was able to say, okay, God, in this moment, I listened to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. Friend, let me ask you this question. When was the last time that in the midst of the moment, you listened for the prompting of the Holy Spirit? That feeling down here says, this is the right response. You know, you can get it in small moments. I mean, frankly, that bill I gave him was not going to change my life, really, per se, his life, he's, he's still going to face the same needs on Thursday morning. But it, so it's not a big moment, but on the other hand, it's a moment where I'm going, God, in the, in the big moments and in the small moments, even the ones that pay, cost basically nothing, I'm striving to be someone who leans into your understanding and leans into submission to God for all of life's decisions. One of the ways that we do that is through submitting to God through worship. I... Friends, I got to tell you here, First Christian Church, my beloved congregation, can you hear this? Running the earth is not the primary reason for humanity. 
Scripture says that we have that responsibility, but it's not the primary reason for why humans came along. The primary reason for humanity is not procreation. Scripture calls us to have children when we can, but it's not our primary function. And even for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, the primary reason for a Christian's life is not even evangelism. We're called to evangelize, and it's a driving force of this congregation. It's why we do work in Kenya, or kids are going to Cuba this week, or if we do work in the community, all of that. All of those sorts of activities and other ones are necessary and God-ordained and God-ordered. But, may I remind you, they all flow out of the primary reason for humanity's creation, development, and ongoing existence. We, as human beings, were created by God for worship. Straight up. We are people who are called to worship God. And we, we, can, we can say, okay, we'll, we'll step into it as best as we can. And as a congregation, this is who we are. Despite what we learn, despite how we do ministry in this community and so forth and so on, our primary function, if you step into, this, into the life of this church, our primary function as a congregation, as a human beings, is to be people of worship. And then once we have done that, you know what happens then? We say, okay, we've submitted to God for life's directions and decisions. We've submitted to God for worship. And the result of all of that then is we submit to God for the sake of other people. So if you want to, if you will, trust in God's understandings and not your own, then after saying, God, you're in charge of the decisions and I'm going to worship you, then that plays out that we seek the welfare of others before we seek our own. And um, it's pretty biblical, frankly. Somebody, a group of people gathered around Jesus one day, and one of the guys speaks out of the crowd, and it's, it's a trick question. They think they're going to catch Jesus, and they say, so, um, Jesus, Rabbi, would you tell us, um, in your opinion, what, which of, what's the best way for us to, to um, follow all the commandments of God? How could we best do everything that God says? And they've got in their mind this really long list. And Jesus comes back. Oh, that's a pretty simple answer, he says. First of all, love the Lord your God. Love God with your entire being. That's, that's the worship part, right? I'm gonna, everything I do is going to be part of worship. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you wish... Um, if you wish to say, I, I, I would like to follow God with everything I have, I want to lean into his understanding, then I'm going to submit my life directions to him, I'm going to submit to him in worship, then how I'm going to live this out for my other people is I'm going to do what Jesus said, I'm going to treat my neighbors I want to be treated. And I'll tell you, friend, <laughs> I'm still striving to learn this. And it's a lesson that I have to learn with regularity. Um, I'll tell you how I, how I know I'm learning this because I had to learn it again yet this morning. Something happened in my life about 10 years ago that I've told some of you the story about this before, but would you mind if I told you again because it's a, it's a story that I experience almost every day in the summer months or the, in the spring and fall months. Here's what happened. The reason I need to tell it to you again is because I got to remind myself not to be bitter about something, okay? So 10 years or so ago, uh, Leslie and I on a Friday night were at Sam's Club. And if we walked in the door, we noticed there were these lovely Canadian maple trees for sale. And I said to Les, you know, honey, we should buy one of those. We have the side yard. We live on a corner lot. We have a side yard. It doesn't have any 
you know, no trees are out there other than up against the house. We've got some land. You, you know what it's like. We could plant a little bit of Canada right in our yard. Wouldn't that be just the irony, you know, being from Canada and all that stuff? We could have Canada right there, Canadian maple leaf tree. Yeah, that's a good idea, Wayne. So we went home and made plans that I would go back on Saturday morning and get the tree. Chatting with our next-door neighbor, the guy around the curve. He says, you know, I like the idea of a Canadian maple leaf in that yard. As a matter of fact, I'd like to have one in my front yard, too. When you go down to uh, Sam's tomorrow, can I come with you? Sure. I mean, I've got a little Ford Ranger pickup. It's old. It's beat up, and he doesn't have any way to... I'll, you get a tree, I'll get a tree, and I'll plant one, you plant one. Off to Sam's we go Saturday morning, and um, I'm looking through all 30, 40 trees that are there, and I pick out the best tree you can imagine. It's lovely. It's got just a little bit of red hue to it. It's got a lovely shape. And I'm thinking about 10 years from now, it's going to be gorgeous in our side yard. Well, I'm watching my neighbor pick out a tree. And I go, hmm, it's none of your business, Wayne. Don't, don't say anything. It's his money. It's his yard. But that was one ugly-shaped tree he picked out. <laughs> He, didn't even, he just grabbed one and stuck it in the back of the truck. So we get home, and he says, hey, how about we work on digging the hole and planting these together? Because you seem to know what you're doing. I look at my yard compared to your yard, and you've got these lovely bushes up against it, and you take care of it. You grow flowers, and I know nothing. Will you help me? Sure, I'll help you. So we dig a hole in his front yard. We dig a hole in the side yard where we are. And then... Do you know what happened next? We walked up to the truck, and he took my tree and carried it over to his yard. He reached into my truck that we drove with my gas at my idea to go to Sam's at my initiative, and he took my tree, and there it is, sitting over there by his pole in the ground. And immediately I'm caught. Because the first thing that comes through my mind, I hate it when Scripture does this, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Well, I'd have him put my tree in my yard, not his yard. <laughs> right? So I'm, there's, here's the problem. Do I say something? Because in saying something, I'm going to say to him, I really think the tree you picked out is pretty ugly. Right? No. So what do we do? I planted my tree in his yard. And then I planted his tree in my yard. You'd think I'd get over it, right? Nah. I'm into bitterness big time. See, you know why I remember this? I have to learn this lesson over and over again. This morning, 6 o'clock, I was out there watering the bushes by the side of the house that he's complimented me on. And I look up at his tree in my yard, it's kind of yellow and misshapen. And I look over at my tree in his yard. It's lovely. It's got this reddish green tint to it. And it looks like a really good Canadian maple leaf tree. Mine looks like, that's one ugly tree you picked out there, dude. <laughs> this morning, I'm reminded, do unto others as you'd have them do to yourself, right? Every time I mow around that tree, I'm mowing around his tree. I'm mowing around his tree. The circle gets bigger. I'm mowing around his tree, and I will not be bitter. I will not be bitter. I will not be bitter. Do you think I'm bitter? <laughs> when I told this story a few years ago, 
We had three, I had three different couples come up to me the week later and said, we drove by your house, it is an ugly tree. <laughs> and you know, wanna know the greater irony? That man and his family moved, moved out of the house, sold the house, another couple moved in, and do you know where they go to church? First Christian Church, you know where they were sitting in the second service? In the balcony. Listen to me tell the story about the lovely tree in their front yard. <laughs> True story. But what does the Bible say? You say you submit for the sake of others. I mean, this is real life, right? This is to say, in the long run, when I get to heaven, am I going to worry about whether or not the tree just east of my house is shaped the right way it should want it to be shaped. When I get to heaven, I want to know that my neighbor's there. That's far more important, right? Do unto others. You should have them do unto you. Let me finish quickly here because I've got lots of other life lessons thus far, but we'll close with one more about this business of submitting to God and leaning into God's understanding. And that is, I, if we're going to live with God, we get, to, we get to have this great adventure of walking with Jesus Christ. And part of that adventure is simply this. I will submit to God an adventure. You know, I used to say I'd try anything once. I'm not quite so certain anymore. I used to say one time I'm going to jump out of a plane, you know, and try parachuting. I, I'm, I'm going to be 60 years old in 10 days from now. And I've decided, you know, I'm never going to do that unless I absolutely have to. But if I don't have to, I am never going to drop out, jump out of a perfectly good plane and try an experiment with a parachute that somebody else packed who I didn't know. How do I know they packed it correctly? How, how will you ever know? No, I don't, it's okay if I don't know that. Now, if the plane's going down, I'll try the experiment. But in the meanwhile, I'm not trying that. But I am, and I really am into, I'll try anything once, if God calls me to it. Because I'm reminded of some of the really cool people in Scripture. Like, there's a guy in 2 Samuel chapter 23 that's only mentioned once in Scripture. His name is Benaniah. And we don't know a lot about him. We know when he lived about 3,000 years ago. He's named as one of David's mighty men. And we know very little about him except this guy was willing to take on whatever adventure came his way. And as a result, out of all the people in history, he gets a little tagline in the Bible. Read with me 2 Samuel chapter 23. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada. Jehoiada, all right, that's a great name, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors, so he was a soldier, and that's one thing. We have soldiers today, but then look what else he did. This is mentioned in Scripture. He went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. What? Why? What's with that? I get the military stuff. But you, you, you tracked the lion in the snow and you went down into the pit? Why? Wouldn't you like to ask him, what caused you to do that? And why was that so powerful that it gets mentioned in Scripture? There's some other adventurers that I'd like to talk to from Scripture. I'd like to talk to Abraham. Back when his name was Abram, you heard from God. and God says, leave your house and... Trek across a place you've never been and go start a country. Well, it didn't, God didn't say quite a country, but he didn't say go start a nation. People who call themselves today Jewish are Jewish as a result of his willingness to take on that adventure. What do you think are the adventure, some parts of that story that we don't have in Scripture? I'd like to know. Or Moses, generations later. 
He's a prince in Egypt. And God says, but you've got slaves. It's a million of them, we think. In retrospect, we think it's probably about a million of them. And I want you to lead all those slaves to, to freedom. What kind of adventurous fella took that on? Wow, what, what are all the details that we don't have? Or the guy who came right behind him, I kind of like Joshua. He lives in the shadow of Moses for years upon years upon years. Moses dies and God says, now you're in charge of the nation. And the first thing they face is they face a river they can't cross. And they know on the other side of the river, these one million people, after trekking through the wilderness for 40 years, know that the promised land is there. We're going to get to live there. It's going to be our space. There's the river, and, Moses, and, and Joshua says, here's what we'll do. We'll believe God that when, we put the, when the feet of the priests go in the water, the river's going to dry up. What sort of adventurous man did that to say, okay, you guys, go. And they go in the water, and the water stops, and a million people walk across on dry land. What are the details of that adventure? I would like to talk to him and find out. What about Mary? Not just men, but women. Mary. 14 years old, 15, 16 years old. Do you know what Scripture says that she said when the angel said, you're going to have a baby and there's no husband. He's going to save the world. What did this adventurous young woman say? She said, be it unto me as you have said. Okay, but what was that adventure like when you met the angel and the months that came after that? And, and what are the things that we don't know about? We know the highs and lows a little bit, but I'd like to know some details. Or here's an adventure, some person. Jesus is in heaven. And there's a decision made that the adventure of a lifetime, a cross-cultural adventure is going to take place, an adventure that goes across the, across the cosmos. And Jesus shows up to say, I'm going to step into the adventure of saving the human all of humanity and all the cosmos. What, what went through his mind to say, I'll take that on? Here's my thought, friends. The heroes of Scripture stepped into adventures on God's behalf, and Christ's followers can step into life's adventures just like that, fully. Let's see if I can be candid for a moment. I may be coming up on 60 in a few days, but I bet there are some 70-year-olds here today, some 80-year-olds, and even some 90-year-olds who would say, oh, Wayne, you're just beginning. You're just a young fella after all. See, I've still got some life in these legs, and there's still a world in need of Jesus Christ, and there's still a community in need of knowing that this church cares and that they can, people can come to know Christ. And I'm not stepping out of the adventure now. No way. Not just as the game seems to be getting particularly interesting. It's not the end of the game yet. Let me explain it this way. Some of you may follow basketball, college basketball. I do to some extent. When I do, we follow the UNC Tar Heels because Leslie's father, my, my father-in-law, played uh, football for UNC. And so we've always had this connection with, with UNC. And in the 2011 quarterfinals of the ACC men's basketball tournament. The UNC team, the Tar Heels, were facing the University of Miami, and it was not a good game for UNC. From the opening tip-off, Miami led all the way through, so that when they got to the end of the first half, okay, Miami was winning by 19 points. But then in the last 10 minutes of the game, another 10 minutes go by, the 
UNC is not getting any ground. But in the last 10 minutes of the game, UNC mounted an incredible comeback. They went on a run, 27 points versus the six points that Miami got in just the last 10 minutes. Here's the a team that didn't lead all the way through the game. They managed to tie it up with just a few seconds left. And I want you to watch the clip of the last five seconds of the game. As you see the clip as it starts, the teams are tied. There's only five seconds left. See who wins. 5.6 seconds left. understand why Miami's doing this. I don't know if they're going to try to put them on line or try to put Henson on the line. Marshall, two seconds, one second, the game winner. Yes! Carolina wins! Matt Kalipak, who's playing piano here in the West Auditorium today, really loves that because he went to Duke. Friends, you know, there, if you know basketball, there are 40 minutes in a college basketball game. 60 seconds times 40. 2,400, 2,400 seconds in a game. Miami led that game for 2,399.5 seconds. UNC won the game in the last half a second. In other words, Miami led for 99.9979, I did the math, 99.979% of the game, UNC wasn't in the, in the game. But at the final buzzer, point, with a half a second left, when it, what counted? Who was winning when the buzzer went off, right? The Tar Heels won the game. Some may say, Wayne, life lessons at, at 60, Maybe, Wayne, the game should be winding down. And I'd say, eh, eh, no way. There's plenty to do. There's still some lion in a pit that needs some attention on a snowy day. And there's still way more than half a second left in my game. And I'm all in, all in. I'm seeking God's understanding for my life, for your life, for the life of this church for what's going to happen in our community, for what we're going to do in Kenya, for the kids who are headed to Cuba on next weekend. The adventure is still underway, and we're not backing off. May that be your story this week. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for my friends here today. <laughs> and I thank you, Lord, that uh, for many of us, we're doing all we can to be engaged in you. The implications of our life, God, are far more important than a basketball game. We, we are concerned, Lord, about how we as, as individuals, how we as a church, lean into you and not just our own understanding. Oh, God, we do pray you'd give us wisdom and insight and, and give us the ability to make really wise decisions. But, Lord, we're not going to do it in ourselves. We want to do it with you. So, God, for those who have really big moments this week about big matters, and for those, Lord, for, for even simple decisions like where we're going to eat lunch today, Lord, may we listen to the prompting of your Holy Spirit in all of that. For someone here today, God, who's not walking with you in Jesus Christ, they're not a Christian, I pray, God, that you'd 
allow them to hear the prompting, the conviction of your Holy Spirit, calling them to ask for forgiveness of sin and to accept the grace and the pardon that's available through Jesus' death on the cross. We're going to rely on you this week, Lord, in the big and the small stuff. We're going, to, Lord, we're going to take on the adventure right down to the very last half second, God, of all that we do and all that we are. We pray this in Christ's name.